You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a brand new and very special episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. On this episode, we are bringing back two former guests to do a live case study of how a marketing initiative brought to you by Value Graphics can help an organization like the American Association for Cancer Research amplify its message and engagement with its target audience. The two guests that we have are Mitch Stoller, the Chief Philanthropic Officer of the American Association for Cancer Research. He was our guest on episode 39. You should definitely go back and check out that episode. Mitch very famously was part of the Livestrong organization and was part of the creation of the yellow bracelets that Livestrong released and a huge fashion movement that helped to amplify a lot of nonprofit organizations after that. Also with us is David Allison, the founder of Value Graphics. You can listen to David on episode 89, where he does a deep dive into what Value Graphics are. We'll talk about that at a high level on this episode, but you should definitely go back, check that episode out as well, because David provides a lot of really useful marketing information and data that you can use to amplify your engagement with your target audience. The reason that these two amazing innovators are with us today is because the AACR has actually released a video game to help bring awareness to cancer research. That video game is called Neo Antigen, which is a third person action adventure game where the universe is loosely based on the human body with enemies that take the visual and behavioral characteristics of actual cancer, you can fight through the single-player missions or take down the threats in multiplayer. With six playable characters to choose from, you can join the fight and take down a variety of smaller enemy grunts and spectacular full-screen bosses. You can collect data as currency to upgrade your skill tree and also improve the hover blades you'll use to traverse the planets. Cancer started this fight, but the AACR is going to finish it. Thank you guys for joining us. David, Mitch, this is so awesome and so exciting. I love collaboration and bringing people together. So it's super exciting to just kind of kick my feet up, be a facilitator, get out of the way and let the two experts in the room talk. How are you guys doing? Great, Tony. <laughs> great. great. And thank you very much for, for having me back and, and getting the opportunity to spend some time with David. Um, and the fact that, you know, I was uh, what episode 39 and now we're back. What episode is this? What number is this? This will be 104. Wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. Kudos, kudos to you, Tony. What a great job. 104. That's a, that's a champagne pop right there. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. If we make it to 2021, I'll pop some champagne. <laughs> almost <laughs> there. about that benchmark now. Almost there, point. Tony. Yeah. Almost there. Almost there. So I also want to add that anyone who's listening to this can and should go check out the Self-Made Strategies YouTube channel. We are recording this both audio and video, and we will post it to our YouTube channel. I would recommend checking it out. You can see Mitch and David. Mitch, great to see you again. And thanks again for being here. Let's talk about why the AACR decided to create this video game, Neo Antigen, and what people can expect from it. 
Yeah. Uh, so Tony, the, the game's going to launch February 19th and right, right in the, in 2021. And, um, I guess about a year ago, maybe a little, a little more than a year ago, um, I started reading more about this, um, booming new phenomena of gaming. And, um, and, but more importantly, I really started learning more about the philanthropic side of that and how gamers, and, and streamers and individuals that were on these platforms were raising a lot of money for charitable organizations, but but not that many of them, but they were still raising pretty significant dollars for organizations. Um, uh, talked to a couple of the members from my team that were our gamers, and we went out to the Twitch conference, which was out in San Diego way over a year ago. What a new experience for this guy. Um, it was a whole new universe for me, and it really opened my eyes to something I thought had tremendous potential. You know, um, everybody in the nonprofit sector, certainly us at the AACR, always looking for new opportunities, new people that will support our mission. Um, and, you know, I, you know, everybody somehow, somewhere is touched by cancer. And um, we felt like this was an opportunity. So we launched Players Versus Cancer, you know, which is the actual gaming initiative where Neo Antigen came into the equation was I thought we needed to do something different than everybody else. And everybody else is doing a great job out there. And we are also going to be, you know, getting people involved in tournaments and, and, and gaming and fundraising. But I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we created our own game? And so we started kind of marching down that, you know, that avenue and knowing that could be a pretty risky venture. Uh, we don't have a whole heck of a lot of experience, but we have some people that have been advising us that are fantastic. And uh, we came across a great studio in Canada, by the way, uh, a studio called Canadap Studios. And they're just doing a great job in developing this game. The, the actual developer um, recently lost his mother to cancer. And so for all the right reasons, he's pouring his passion and energy into this. And what we're hoping is people will have a great time, they'll enjoy the game, but we'll be raising money for cancer research and exposing many, many more people to understanding about why supporting science, why supporting research is so important. Amazing, amazing. And I'm so psyched to see it. I'm definitely getting this game. I recommend that everybody else go and check it out. There's a website that you can go check out, Players vs. Cancer and Neoantigen specifically, and that's neoantigen.com. GG, and I'll have a link down in the show notes, Great. whether you're listening to this on whatever platform you're listening to it on, or if you're on YouTube, you will see it down in the show notes. Go ahead, click the link, make sure you follow it. And on February 19th, get out there, purchase the game, help to combat cancer. Thank you, Tony. So I, I have a, I have a quick follow-up question. So the, is the, um, the fundraising initiative is from the purchase price of of the uh, of the game, or is are, is there things you buy while you're playing the game as well? Uh, all the above. So yeah, yeah. So the, the we own the game. It's going to be actually our game that we own, and so anybody that purchased the game, those proceeds will come to the AACR. But there are, and uh, forgive me because I'm still learning the uh, you know the right uh, terminology here. But there are skins, and there are opportunities to purchase things like traditional games, where it'll just increase the opportunity to raise money for uh, for the AACR. And David, what I'm really hoping hat, what I'm hoping is going to happen here is this will expose more people to who we are and then get them involved in the players versus cancer initiative. Yeah, no, I think it's a fabulous idea. And I'm, 
I'm very excited to see a non not for profit um, out there trying to push boundaries and and um, go where no one has gone before to try and use a Star Trek line that I probably butchered, but uh, no, it, um, good. <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 necessary. Uh, we keep doing the same things over and over and over again. We have a gala and we do some direct mail fundraising, and it's great to see some new exploration and some new parts of uh, of how this all, all could come together. So kudos to you guys. Well, thank you, thank you. We're we're excited, and uh, you know, we're 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 just uh, we're 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 hoping that it takes off and it works quite well. But um, you know, you have to you have to try new things, and you have to see you know how it flies. And um, again, anything that can continue to increase the dollars for cancer research is really important to me and to the to the team. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, trying new things and see how it flies, maybe I'll, that's a great segue for me to talk a little bit about the research we've done and. Um, how we got to where we are today and created this thing called Value Graphics. Uh, I spent my life working in marketing and trying to help my clients when they would give me a profile for a target audience. We'd go and spend a bunch of money to try and get those folks to do something. And then the particular field I was involved in, it had a very short um, uh, cycle. So we would, the people would buy something and then two years later, we'd actually get to go and see who had bought the thing and it was over. So we had a beginning and a middle and an end. It isn't like advertising and marketing for Coca-Cola that just keeps going for the rest of your life. And you never really know how it's going except for yearly numbers that come in. So what was happening is every time we would do one of these projects, we'd go and see who bought and it, they didn't resemble the people in our target audience description. And it was a little bit of a head scratcher. I was like, who are these people? Why are they here? This isn't who I was talking to. This isn't who we built these campaigns for. Thank God they're here. Um, but where'd they come from? So when I sold the company about five years ago, that's where, where we started and said, let's see if we can't figure this out. Who are those folks? Who are we talking to really, even though we think we're talking to this demographic description of a group of people who are 18 to 24 and earn $50,000 a year and whatever demographics we use to describe that thing. So fast forward, we've now done half a million surveys around the world and we uh, are accurate in 180 out of 185 countries. We've asked people questions about 436 different aspects of life, primary among which are the 56 core human values that drive every decision and behavior and emotion that human beings make. So the net result, this is incredibly accurate, it's more accurate than you need for a PhD from Harvard. The net result is we can now, for any target audience, any product or service or brand or not-for-profit who's launching a game, we can say, your target audience cares about these things. Not what they look like, not what color their hair is, not whether they're 18 or they're male or they're female, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's interesting to know. But since values derive all of our decisions and all of our behaviors, if you know the values of your target audience, you know what they're listening for. You know what it is they're running around all day trying to find more of. So now you just need to connect the dots between what you have and what, they're, what they want, and they'll come running. Now, this isn't new science. This has been around for a very, very long time. If you look at neurology, psychology, sociology, all the uh, human behavior sciences, let's call them, we'll group them together like that. They all have been studying for decades now, all learned, learned scientists around the world, how values are the core driver of all human behavior and emotion. I'll give you one quick example from the world of neurology. We've all heard of the prefrontal cortex of our brain. It's the CEO of our brain. 
The CEO takes all the incoming information that you encounter in your life, every sight and sound and smell and piece of information that comes at you. Your CEO's job is to sort it out and then boss you around. You go, okay, well, if this is like that, then you're going to go do this. And the CEO only uses one set of filters to make these decisions and then issue orders to the rest of you, the rest of your body and your brain. And, and that's your values. The things you care about the most are how your prefrontal cortex determines what your reaction is going to be to everything that happens to you. So you can't really help it. You're going to run towards the stuff you care about. If you have a prefrontal cortex, you are going to run towards the stuff you care about. So when we can look at a target audience and say, out of the 56 possible core human values, this target audience for this thing, they share these three or four in common. Well, you've kind of got the magic buttons you need to push to get those folks to pay attention to the thing you want them to pay attention to. It's that simple. It was very complex to build this because as you can imagine, we want to be accurate for the world, 180 countries, 152 languages we had to use to make this all come together. But we're here, and now we have the ability to do, uh, to do what we've been talking about and value graphically profile a target audience. But before we get there, I want to talk about a, a small unintended consequence. We didn't set out to do this, but because the way the data is arranged and how accurate it is, for any data geeks listening, I'll talk, just mention that it's a random stratified statistically representative sample of the population of planet Earth which is a, a nice thing to say at a cocktail party as long as you've only had one martini. Uh, <laughs> uh, it means that it's an exact replica of the real world in miniature. So we have proportionately a, a miniature model of the planet. So when we take data out of here, we can take it out in any kind of different way. So for example, if we just take out millennials, say so how often do these folks agree on anything? How similar are millennials as a target audience? Well, millennials only agree with each other 15% of the time on anything. So 85% of the time, if you're trying to talk to a target audience of millennials, you're going to get it wrong. And that's assuming that you do everything perfect and you get the full 15%. And let's say you don't, you only get about 10 or 11, 12%. It's not really great ROI on spending a buck and getting a 10% return on that buck. Ask you, but if just we start real quick, ask you a question on that topic. So yeah. lots of companies and even probably lots of nonprofits do focus their efforts on that 85%, right? In other words, they think it's all this, it's, they're all millennials are, are linked together. Somehow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's a, I mean, if we take it away from data and let's just talk about it in terms of something that's easier to understand. If you put You've got a room and you're going to put a hundred millennials in the room and let's say they all have a bachelor's degree and they're all single and they're um, earning 50 grand a year. How similar do you think they are to each other? That's going to be a room of really different people. I mean, the only things they're going to have in common are the things we just listed. Some of them will be Republicans. Some of them are going to love their families. Some of them are going to be about the environment. Some of them are going to be driven by issues of personal responsibility or status. And that's what we can identify now. We can say, okay, you got this group of people you're trying to talk to. What are they all driven by in common? What are the one or two things they'd all agree on if you stood at the front of the room and you could say one thing to them and you knew that one thing was about status. Well, suddenly that group makes sense. Without that fact, without that common value, that group doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's nothing to say. You're just, it's a crapshoot what you're going to try and say to that group to get them to do something. 
So the unintended learning from this uh, profiling tool that we've built is that demographic categories, all those labels, male, female, uh, rich, poor, young, old, they don't really hold water anymore. People within those groups do not agree with each other on anything that it means to be human with enough, uh, with enough statistical volume to make them a worthwhile target audience. Still useful to describe a group of people, but not to profile who they are, what they care about, and what will get them to do what you'd like them to do. And that's been the mistake. We've been using demographics and saying, millennials, avocado toast. And if we try and make those big giant assumptions, boomers hate technology. We can't say those things. We can say these are boomers. That's a fact. Cool. Some of them are going to love technology. Some of them are going to love avocado toast. Some of them are going to be all kinds of other sorts of things because we're all human. And there's, in fact, 56 different things that we could be possibly interested in enough that they drive every decision and every behavior in our life. So we can map that out now. There's the... That's sort of the research we've been busy working on. And I can tell you from being in the philanthropic sector, as long as I have been, we do lump demographic. We do kind of lump things by demographics. Um, you know, many times you hear that the, you know, the older um, uh, woman, if you will, that demographic is more the philanthropic person that's, you know, possibly going to be the person to make the donation at the end of the year. Um, I'd like to challenge that. I'd like to learn more about that to see if, you know, maybe we're, maybe we're not, we're targeting the wrong groups or, or messaging the wrong groups. So, well, I think, I mean, it's, it's, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be beating yourself up. I mean, we've been doing this for millennia, you know, it gets, goes back to the days when you, everybody had a very distinct job to do in society based on their demographics. Men had to do man things and women had to do women things. And if you weren't pulling your weight, your village or your tribe would get destroyed by the one down the street. And, uh, you know, it was about survival. But today, you don't have to behave a certain way just because you're a 24 year old woman. There's no rules left anymore. We have a lot of ways to go in terms of equality and you know leveling out the playing field. But generally speaking, those old-fashioned ideas that you must be at home making babies if you're a woman, and you must be out spearing the enemy with a uh, and bringing home uh, the, the the mastodon for for dinner. Um, that, that's not necessarily the way you have to live anymore. So, except we get in boardrooms and we still think this is the way people are going to behave. So then we use these old-fashioned ideas about demographics to try and understand uh, how people might move forward with their lives and why they do the things they do. But let me tell you, in that giant data set we've built of half a million surveys around the world, with all these 436 things we've measured, 56 of which are the core values that trigger all our behaviors, we're asking people tons of questions about all kinds of different stuff. And in there, I went and had a poke around. Now, this is not our normal methodology. Our normal methodology is we go and study a particular group, and then we use what they tell us to extrapolate profiles from our benchmark study. But in this benchmark study, there's so much stuff that there's sometimes we can find some really cool things. So I went because I knew you and I were going to be talking. I pulled out some interesting stuff about people who play games, uh, uh, video gamers. And I'll just share a couple of quick things with you. Um, first off, there's two very distinct groups. There's people who refer to themselves as gamers. And then there's people who refer to themselves as players. Now, the players don't see this as a badge of honor. It's just a thing they do. 
Uh, the gamers, on the other hand, are very proud that they are gamers and they want to be known. It's part of their personality. It's part of how they move forward in their day and in their life. And they have a, a different way of approaching the fact that they like to spend some time on, on video games. So, I mean, right away, one of the things I, I think you guys should be thinking about is how do you make sure that in your language and in your um, marketing and in your uh, inferences of any kind, as you start building touch points around the brand for this game, that you realize there are these two different groups. And that on the one hand, they want to be gamers. And on the other hand, they want to be players. And that there's a difference in the way they view themselves and therefore how they will react to the way you're speaking to them. Diving a little deeper, uh, we found it was very interesting that of all those 56 values we were talking about, for both groups, loyalty scores far higher than it does for the general population. Now, that's fascinating to me. I guess it's probably an explanation for why when somebody gets into a game, they keep going and keep going and they got to get to the next level. And it's probably why there are levels in games, because we want to keep you engaged. And we know there's a loyalty streak there. We, we've intuited that there's a loyalty streak there. And our data is backing that up and saying there absolutely is. Here's a caveat, though. The gamers will only be loyal after you've earned it. They need to know that you're going to be loyal to them, and then they will be loyal to you to the end of time. The players, they just are loyal people. They don't need to have proof that this is going to be reciprocal. Now, how that translates into what you're doing, this might be about your customer service on the back end. It might be about the way you support players as they're trying to uh, uh, onboard and get involved in the game. It may be about what's going on in the game that has to do with... Um, increasing the, the stickiness and the loyalty that they have so that they carry on and continue through the various levels. Um, but I guess the, the big brush there is loyalty is super important. There's 56 things that could be making people do the things they do. And for this group, it's aberrantly off the chart important that loyalty is how one of the ways they make decisions about everything in their lives. Quick question for you, David. Um, yeah. how, how, how do you get this information specifically about gamers um, and players from your database? Did you go to a cohort of people that you knew already that are gamers and players, or are you making assumptions? Uh, I'm trying to understand how you got to that, yeah. those specific thoughts. The benchmark study that we built as comes from these 500,000 surveys we sent out, and those surveys were in 10 thematic groups to cover all or as many aspects of human life as we could possibly imagine. And one of them had to do with hobbies and um, uh, activities and experiences and things you like to spend your time doing. And so in the course of um, our data is called what they call qualquant data. So a lot of the data that we collect from people, they write out long answers. And so there's a lot of open-ended questions in the way we built this data set. So when we start talking to people about their hobbies and their passions and their interests, a certain number of them said gaming. And we're like, okay, cool. So then we asked them a few extra questions about that. We're not really interested in finding out stuff about gaming. What we're interested in finding out is, are gamers fitting into the category we're trying to understand around loyalty? Or are they more about experiences? Or are they more about friends? Or are they more about all the different things we're measuring? So it was a side effect of asking questions about the different values people have. We never ask people direct questions about their values. Like if I said to you, how important is, is your family important? 
Every single person we ever surveyed would say, yes, of course my family is important, even the ones who hate their family and don't want to spend any time with their family ever again, particularly in a post-pandemic world where it's not required anymore. So we found information about gamers because they volunteered to us that they are gamers in the course of answering questions. And then we can correlate that back to all the other stuff they told us about themselves. And we see that gamers tend to have a whole lot of loyalty and so do the folks who call themselves players. Uh, and that's where this comes from. Interesting. And I can tell you, as we launched the PVC brand, and we actually recruited an advisory board uh, made up of what I probably would call gamers, uh, people that are really, really dedicated. Um, they're volunteering their time on this advisory board. They're lending us their expertise. And you can already see their loyalty. <laughs> it, 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 you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm taking that from your, your words, but I can see it. You know, I can see the loyalty already from them. Um, I love that. I love that, that you can see it because there's proof positive that that's a factor that you need to be an overlooked factor, perhaps in the way you need to be thinking about what you say about the game. And I think that um, this community that we've had people start participating. So people will just go on and they'll play whatever game they're playing and they'll invite their friends to fundraise and they'll, you know, ask them for donations. I, you know, I thank everybody and we have a very, like I'm really big into thanking and making sure people get the, you know, proper uh, uh, acknowledgements, if you will. But um, I'm seeing contributions coming into the organization, not large ones, but contributions coming in from all over the globe. And it's from, it's from gamers. I don't, not quite sure if they're players or gamers, yet. But I do know that um, we have learned that it's about starting to really build our community and the network. And the more we do that, the more success we will have. I guess the message for me, one of the important messages for me that I'm taking away from this, though, is that um, we need to make sure that we earn that loyalty. And, yes. and we do that by being really good stewards by providing great services. And I, I think communicating that the research that we're doing is, is phenomenal. One, one last thing, David and Tony, is that we did um, have a couple like um, sessions with scientists on it. Uh, we were on the Twitch channel and uh, they actually put us on the front page, which I heard was supposedly really good that you get on the front page of Twitch. But we, we interviewed some scientists and we found that the community really was interested to hear science, to learn about science. Had nothing to do with a Fortnite game or some other game, but had everything to do with just educating people. And I think, you know, we see that that's a really interesting opportunity for us to build um, general awareness about the importance of what we're trying to accomplish. So you've just brought up in that, in that little co that comment you made about five different values. Uh, community is one of them. Uh, personal growth is another one. Um, uh, a desire to continue with education is another one. So it's a small sample you've got. And if we were to do this for uh, a group with our standard methodology, we'd go out and find 1,850, 2,000 folks and make sure we're getting the right signals before we extrapolate. But it sounds like there's some early warning signals for you about some of the other values that you may be wanting to play into. And one of the things I'd love you to take away from this is just um, what we call values thinking, that you're looking at these people, understanding the inputs, and traditional marketing, what 
the folks involved in marketing would look at this group and say, wow, they're all this age or they're all like that or they all wear blue jeans or instead of looking at what you're doing already and saying, wow, we're seeing loyalty. That's the important one to take away. Who cares about any of the rest of the stuff? We're seeing some desire to learn more, to continue and grow as a person. That's the important thing to take away. And if you start finding those values signals in the noise, then you're starting to build up a set of um, tools that you can use that you can play back to them and say, okay, if that's, a, if that's how you guys move through the world, then here's some more of that. Here's how we can we can do that for you. So let me present you uh, what probably one of the biggest challenges that we have in my organization, and that's the lack of awareness of the American Association for Cancer Research. So historically, the organization, and we are a membership-based academic scientific organization with over 47,000 members all over the world. We're now trying to market to the general public, and we're trying to market now specifically for the gaming program obviously to a, an entirely different audience. But many, many of the people, David, don't know who we are. Now, when I get the opportunity, you know, you and I've never met. And, you know, if I met you it's at some other time in Vancouver and talked to you about AACR and about cancer research, once you learn about the work that we do, you would get it. And you would probably well, I would hope you would consider a, a contribution to fund cancer research. Uh, but the average person out there doesn't know who we are. And so that's a big challenge for us. And we don't have millions of dollars for to advertise, obviously, because we're, we're a, you know, we're a not-for-profit organization. So how, how does that fit into this equation of trying to uh, get the message out to more people, if you will? Well, I mean, uh I don't want this to sound like a sales pitch, but this is what we would do. We would go out and find people who are interested in cancer research. Uh, we could group them based on folks who have donated to you before and vote folks who have donated to another organization that's perhaps similar or other medical um, uh, uh, organizations. We find a statistically representative sample of each one of these groups. We ask them a few questions, and then we can go into our benchmark study and pull out a profile. And we'll be able to come back to you and say, well, gee, uh, the folks who are already donors, they have a really big issue around trust, uh, environmentalism, and family for some reason. It doesn't always track back in a logical way to what it is we're asking about, but that's the stuff they have in common, this group of people. Now, this other group of people over here who are really big donors and frequent donors to uh, other medical organizations but have not donated to you, they have these values in common. And look, there's this one that's the same. So if you talk to this value most and crank the volume up on as many connection points as you can around that one, you'll be solidifying your base and drawing some folks from these other groups who have a proven record of wanting to contribute and help out in, uh, for medical not-for-profit. So there's a very simple overview of how it might work. Okay, great. Thank you. This gamer data, I want to just tell you one other thing that we noticed that was really, I, I, a couple other things I thought was really interesting. Uh, not interested in health and well-being. Compared to the overall American population, low on the list. So we can get into stereotypes about sitting in the basement and playing video games all day. Um, but we also have to just understand that everybody has a slightly different idea of what health and well-being is. And you can be a healthy and well person, but just not, it's not a big value for you. It's just a thing like 
you know what? I brush my teeth every day. If someone was polling to find out if I believe dental health is an important part of my life, I'd be like, nah, I just brush my teeth. So I, I could be the guy who goes to the gym six times a week and health and well-being is just not a big part of it. It's not a big deal. I'm far more focused on other things. So we have to not go to the stereotype about sitting in the basement and playing video games. However, we do know factually that these folks are far less motivated by messages or anything that has to do with health and well-being. So you are a medical organization with a game coming out in a medical space. Don't spend too much time talking about the health and well-being aspects of this. You're wasting, you're wasting air time. Uh, that can go on the back of the back cover. Talk about the fun of the game. Talk about, well, first off, loyalty. How can you, I, I'd be thinking about loyalty programs you can put in place. If you get to this level, then this happens. And if you get to this level, then we're going to call you a platinum player and you're going to be part of this special group and this is going to happen and you're going to be on the testing body for our next game that's going to be released in a year. They want to know that you're being loyal. They want to be rewarded for their loyalty. Just milk that loyalty piece as much as you possibly can. That's a, that's a big bell that you can ring that they're listening for. The, the last piece I'm going to, I'm going to put out and then we'll, we'll talk about some other stuff is, so we've got loyalty's huge, health and well-being not so much. Uh, and then the last one I thought was really interesting was possessions are much more important to this group than the general population. Possessions, again, in social science data collection, we don't define things for people. So people choose words that represent what they believe their life is about. So we've just had an inordinate amount of people who identify as gamers or players, lots of loyalty, not so much about health and well-being compared to the norm, but possessions is a really important thing to them. Now, what would that mean? I'm not sure. How would you think that might interpret in, in what you're trying to do with this game? I think it could mean like uh, swag that they earn by playing the game. So cool. we actually just, uh, Ashley and I, Ashley just made a request for some swag for some upcoming tournaments. The, the largest one being like, so the, uh, the chairs that gamers sit in are very important. You know, they have the high backs and, oh, yeah. and, and so, we, so if someone reaches a certain level of raising money, we'll get, we'll get, get them a, um, we'll get them a chair, uh, Amazing. uh, hoodies, hats, things like that. I think to me with this community possessions is swag is kind of like that because a lot of them do buy, like you asked early, early on um, in the, in our conversation about the game and is there a way to make other money? And that's who the skins, the so skins are really popular for gamers and players. And so I think that's kind of what might be possessions for this group. It sounds, it sounds like you're, you're going down some good paths here because not only are those um, pieces of swag, you talked about possessions, you're using them as loyalty rewards. So you got, you got two values going for you there. That's ding, ding. That's twice. You know, I know from my own philanthropic work that I do and just even when I volunteer and like I run a lot and I get into a race, you know, just getting the shirt, you know, and getting, you know, and you're really proud of that. Now that, that might, that's a different audience. That's a, you know, a running philanthropic audience. But, you know, to me, that possession is like, I'm very proud of that. And, yeah. You know, it's kind of a, um, 
kind of a, you know, this badge of courage that you've got, and, you know, it's something really positive. That you've- well, and, and then the caution I'm going to throw out around this is this is data that was collected as a result of collecting other data. And it just happened to bubble to the surface when we were looking around in there. We go, oh, look, a bunch of people said they're into games and, and they call themselves players and gamers. And, oh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, if we were to profile specifically the people who are going to be interested in this particular game, you'd see different nuances. You'd see other things percolating to the surface, stuff that isn't perhaps true in any other situation in, a philanthropic, uh, in the philanthropic sector. There's going to be things... Remember, back to my opening comments about what this data is all based on, nobody does anything in their life unless it's because it relates to a value. It's a manifestation of a value. So the people playing this game are playing this game because it's a manifestation of some value that we have yet to be able to dig down to because the stuff we've been talking about is applies to all gamers and all players. So the stuff that's specifically making that's making you magnetic and getting this group to come and play with this particular game, that's the stuff that we need to dive a little deeper to see if we can't figure that out. That's another whole conversation for another whole day. But you get the point. You see how this works, right? I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm ready, ready to, to start, start talking, talking about, about rich people. people. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm always, always looking forward to that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> let me, let me just dive in here. First of all, I just want to recap for the listeners, or if you're watching this on YouTube, some really awesome high level points here. One of the things that caught me was the difference between gamers and players and these aspects of community, personal growth, uh, continued pursuit of education and possessions, which if you look at the gamification or the development of a game and Mitch, you're, you're in the weeds up to your elbows in, in game development. So you know that the acquisition of the skins also that you talked about, Mm -hmm. and just to throw another idea out there being the millennial in the virtual room, right. Who, uh, (laughs) who can, considers myself, I don't know what term to use now because I might get butchered for it. I'd say I'm more the player probably, and my wife is actually more the gamer. But one of the things that might be interesting to add in terms of possessions that are really, really interesting to them is these skins and limited edition items that you can only get by participating on particular events and um, are acquired through certain levels of that particular event. So let me throw out a a hypothetical for uh, AACR. Just something that popped into my head just now. So I play FIFA a lot. I'm a a sports gamer primarily. Mm -hmm. My wife is more of a role-playing game type of person. She likes playing The Witcher and games like that. If you're playing FIFA nowadays, for example, they have special days where for a limited window of time, you can compete in a particular tournament and you can acquire certain items that are only acquirable during that tournament. Mm -hmm. Special historic players like Pele or something Mm -hmm. like that. A limited edition digital thing. And then they have a marketplace within the FIFA game that you can actually exchange virtual, otherwise, you know, meaningless currency, in-game currency. They call them uh, FIFA Ultimate Team Coins, F-U-T Coins. Mm -hmm. And you can exchange these coins for in in an open marketplace for these digital special edition players. And, you know, it's like trading stock. I mean, some of these players are worth hundreds of thousands of this virtual otherwise meaningless currency. Right. But if you have that player, like a special edition Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel mm-hmm. Messi or whatever, 
if you have that, that's a status symbol, right? Mm -hmm. And extremely rare within the virtual world. And I think that that's also something to consider is putting these things out where you say, you know, uh, again, if you're not watching this on YouTube, go check it out because Mitch is standing in front of a virtual background that reads cancer research saves lives. May is national cancer research month. So during May, you could have a competition each day of May where you'll get a limited edition item that you otherwise cannot get within the world. And that becomes, you know, something that you tie into their Twitch account, make it a Twitch competition, pump it with, you know, the person who who uh, gets the most amount of dollars raised that day for cancer research using Patreon. Almost all of these people now who are gamers or players, I don't want to offend anyone who's listening, <laughs> uh, um, who are gamers or players have Twitch accounts and then have Patreon accounts where they actually right. generate money to support, you know, the ability to buy that expensive yes. share right. Or, right. or something along those lines, right? They get sponsorships. I mean, you see these FIFA tournaments now and Madden tournaments. And uh, at the beginning of quarantine, you had NBA players playing yes. uh, NBA 2K and yeah. all that stuff, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. those kinds of things are really cool. And all of this stuff, by the way, uh, David, hats off to you and to Value Graphics because it all makes sense, right? If you know a gamer or if you know a player, my my, I don't I don't want to uh, uh, kind of out my wife's gaming here, but <laughs> but but gamers put in hundreds, if not thousands, of hours into the games that they love to play. Right? Yeah. They'll go back and play a game that takes two, three hundred hours and replay it. is uh, the whenever we see high levels of loyalty in an audience, one of the correlative factors that always is there is a passion for collecting something. So I think that the idea of limited, um, limited edition somethings that end up being very hard to find after that period of time is over, that's helping with possessions, particularly if you're using them as a loyalty reward, there's loyalty. And then if you make them over and over and over again, now you've got a collection that can build and something else for people to be loyal to, which is I got to get the fourth one because I got the first three and I don't want to miss one. <laughs> So, yeah, that's a, a brilliant point. And then you have a lot of continuity and consistency there in your uh, in your donor. Uh, and um, um, Tony, uh, we've got got to get your wife to uh, to get the game now. <laughs> we, I, I was we, thinking of her the whole time because this is right up her alley. I'm, I'm buying the game one way or the other, because okay. obviously I support your mission. Big fan of ACR, big fan of Mitch. Ashley and I talk on roughly a monthly basis. Yeah. I love everything you guys do. I mention you guys to friends on the phone all the time. And, you know, to to kind of continue what you were talking about, Mitch, at times there is, if I use the acronym AACR, there's not that immediate recognition for sure. But, you know, after I say American Association for Cancer Research, I think people get it pretty quickly then, but mm-hmm. there's still some confusion in the marketplace. But yeah. So if I were to say, though, um, American Cancer Society, most people kind of get that brand right away. Or if I were to say uh, at Susan Komen, Susan G. Komen, you know, right. Breast Cancer Research Foundation, you know, these are household names and they've been around a long, long time. And I'm not 
thinking that we're going to get to that point. But I just, you know, we just need to broaden that message out to, to more people so they understand where we're going with it. Right. I'm thrilled that this is on YouTube, but it's obviously going to be a great podcast anyway uh, because of you guys. But um, it's going to be good for my team to be able to hear all this great information that they're getting. <laughs> hey, team. So, yeah. Hi. <laughs> so, hey guys, yeah. Uh, yep. So anyway, this is terrific. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, I don't want to hold up too much time because I want to get to the other yeah. second part of this conversation, yeah. yes, which is please. about bringing those millennials and Gen Zers to the table to donate more. But just re- just capping off this prior discussion, being a millennial myself, I think that there's some really interesting data here that is very useful, not only for the AACR, but for other organizations. And it all makes sense. If you look at, just to kind of take it tangential a little bit, if you look at modern marketing, right? Forget about the old hat stuff. Forget about demographics. As David pointed out, I myself, whether it's in my law firm, uh, I have a podcast production company. We're working on some really cool stuff for 2021. And obviously my own podcast, all of those things. People don't want to be sold to as a number or a figure. Okay. They don't, it's a bombardment, right? It's because I'm a man in this age group, you think I should buy this. It doesn't make any sense. It makes a lot more sense to say we connect because the organization and leaders within that organization. And if you look at um, any social media campaign for a company versus the leader that leads that organization, generally speaking, the leader has way more followers and their message is much more amplified than that of the brand. Look at Tesla and Elon Musk, easy example. Uh, Apple, when it was Steve Jobs, a little shaky nowadays, but uh, but back then for sure, it's the person and the values that people want to engage with. And these brands become that much more amplified. And looking at another being a podcaster and being in the podcast space, we've been doing a lot of studying of and watching what figures as podcasting is growing, what, what's coming out of it from a marketing perspective. The numbers are 60 plus percent of listeners who listen to podcasts are 60 percent or more likely to buy something they've heard on a podcast versus any other advertising platform. That is incredible. Now, I have a hypothesis. I could be completely off my uh, my rocker here or my standing desk in this case. But my hypothesis is that it's an intimate medium. You're in their AirPods or in their headphones while they're doing the dishes, while they're driving in the car. When you've been invited in. You've been invited ex- in. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? They associate with, I like this podcast because I like this person's message, not this arbitrary demographic branding that's being thrown at me. So if you listen to Joe Rogan, if you listen to Adam Carolla, whoever you listen to, they have something that captures their values going to David's point here, and it engages with them. We developed a uh, a podcast, my colleagues and I, uh, super thankful for the people that I've been surrounded with, but we developed a podcast for the Today is a Good Day organization, which I serve on the board of. And you should go to todayisagoodday.org. Go to their YouTube channel. It's on their YouTube channel. It's on their website. It's everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Go there, subscribe, uh, give them a five-star review. That would really be helpful. And we're seeing much higher levels of engagement with donors, with partner hospitals, with all sorts of organizations, because it's this multimedia medium that makes you 
a, a person to the people that you're trying to connect with. It yeah, Tony, offers that connection. Tony, we need to continue to talk about the uh, AACR podcast here, buddy. Um, coming soon. Well, coming you know, soon. It, you know, it's something that I really <laughs> think it's important. I think we could do something really special there. So uh, I just didn't want to miss the opportunity to uh, to pitch you on that. I will say, David and Tony, though, this whole concept before we move on to major donors and 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 high net worth opportunities. Um, taking my AACR hat off, but just keeping my philanthropic hat on. I, I really do think you're definitely onto something here. And, um, you know, the philanthropic industry, if you will, it's huge. It's very, very big. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, you know, with what I believe is that, you know, as we test these, test these out and prove it out, you know, David, I, I think there's a huge, huge opportunity out there. And, and that, only will help people make it'll it'll help missions and uh, around the world and make a huge impact i think in society so um, well, we've, so we've started doing some really interesting work and uh uh we've done a major profiling with the environmental defense fund out of washington dc okay yeah uh, helping them understand why their donors are behaving the way they are and how to connect with them in a more meaningful way. And we're also working with the United Nations Foundation on their Nothing But Nets program, trying to raise money to distribute malaria mosquito nets. No, mosquito nets that prevent malaria, not malaria mosquito nets. That's a bad thing. It's a mosquito nets that prevent malaria in places in the world where that can still be a death sentence for a family if they're not being protected while they sleep from, from mosquitoes. So uh, it's it definitely has these applications built into it. Um, the beautiful thing about values as a way to understand people, engage with them, influence their behavior, is there isn't a single field of human endeavor where it isn't about values. We can't help it. Humans run towards the things they care about. So we've used this on Wall Street with hedge funds. We've used this with uh, major retailers and product manufacturers who distribute product all over the world, used it with these big global humanitarian organizations. Anybody who's trying to get a group of people to pay attention and do something needs to understand what they're listening for. Yeah. And now we have an empirical data set that can make that an accurate piece of information as opposed to a guess or some intuition or, um, you know, the sometimes I um, think about uh, the customer whisperer. There's somebody in the organization who's convinced they're the customer whisperer. And it's cool. That's great. You still need that person, but let's give them some data to work with as well. Mm -hmm. So they know what they should be whispering about. Yeah. You uh, know, David, uh, we're, um, we're really, uh, we're, we've been doing this for quite a long time, but you know, this whole area of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and, and, and we hear about, you know, there's, there's cancer disparities. There are health inequities all around the globe. Um, just look at COVID and what's happened there. Uh, we, uh, our president uh, put together a COVID and cancer task force. And uh, unfortunately, you know, people with, uh, you know, in with lower socioeconomic um, backgrounds are, are dying much more frequently than others. And, um, and so there's a lot of health inequities out there. And we as an organization are starting to like move, really move in a direction to keep, you know, to, to try to get, make this, um, you know, try to change things, try to change the world a little bit. And um, I think this type of, um, the values behind what you're speaking of really kind of touched me here. And uh, I think could be really helpful for, for even programmatic. We're talking about fundraising activities and things like that, but I think this really could 
programmatic messaging and, and all types of different you know, active communication activities. Well, you know what, offline, we'll have another conversation about this, but you're a member-based association in some respects. So we have some data that we've pulled about people who belong to associations. And I'd love to share that with you can also help you understand how to keep those folks engaged with your association, how to attract more folks to become members of the association. So let's do that offline. I'm happy to share that with you and see if I can help you out too. So let's talk about high net worth people. Yeah. Okay. So here's the setup. There isn't very many, there aren't very many industries out there right now who aren't having some kind of conversation uh, about this massive transfer of wealth, the, the so-called largest transfer of wealth in the history of, man, of humankind. The boomers are gradually shuffling off the dance floor and uh, leaving the cash to the next generation. And so everybody's trying to figure out, well, what do these folks want? What do these new ones want? We've set up our banking, our financial systems, our philanthropic organizations, our luxury goods companies, our art galleries. Everything's been set up for the moms and dads. Once they're gone, what's the next generation with the money? What do they want from us? How do they want to interact? How do we put our products and services and experiences together in a way that's going to make sure that we're still catering to this echelon of society? And I kept hearing about this from friends who are in all kinds of different industries. And I said, you know what, let's just go figure this out. So we went out and did a study. Uh, And we've talked to a statistically representative sample of people across uh, the United States. We also did Canada. So we can pull that out as a separate set of data. And I'd love to have somebody step up who wants to do this for the EU and China and all the other regions in the world. But for the American data is what we'll talk about today. Uh, We talk to people who are going to earn, who are going to inherit a minimum of $10 million. And they come in three tranches, people who are going to inherit $10 million to 50, 50 to 100, and 100 plus million dollars. So these are the three groups of people. We went through all kinds of rigorous scientific methodology to make sure these were really people who are going to do that. So we we won't get into all of that stuff. Just trust me for this conversation that we got 1,850 people who fit this description. And we asked them a few questions about their lives and how they think about things and what their values are. And we use that information to extrapolate the lookalike profiles from our benchmark data set of 500,000 surveys around the world. And what we found is pretty interesting. There's some stuff that's maybe a little bit um, disappointing to some people, but a a lot of stuff that I think is also very useful. So we're going to do a, I'm going to give you a quick little overview of the data that we found, and then we're going to do a little exercise, a little values thinking exercise at the back end and see if we can't solve some question that you might have for this group as it relates to major gifts, specifically for the uh, organization that you're trying to to shepherd uh, along this path. So first thing I want to tell you is that this group of people who we call the inheritors, they break up into four different kinds of people, four different segments. And the number one most uh, sort of shocking thing that comes out of this is that there's only 22% of them who are focused on what we call ESG. Uh, And so the ESG donors, the ESG philanthropists, ESG investors, in fact, uh, are all about environmentalism, about sustainability and about good governance. This is a sector of the population that I think everyone believes is going to come in on a white horse and save us, that the next generation of wealth is going to be all about ESG. And this is how the planet will survive. Well, it's only 22 percent. Uh, however, that's 22% of the wealthiest people in the country. Mm-hmm. And for 22% of them to be focused on ESG, 
that's pretty darn good. That's mm -hmm. a lot of impact that can be harnessed to help out with all the different issues that we're facing as a planet. Other quick groups I'll talk about, um, one we call the Masters of the Universe. These are sort of your classic workaholics. They're um, workaholics are people who in our ecosystem, our universe at Value Graphics to be categorized as a workaholic, you have to self-report 80 plus hours a week. Now, many of them are lying about that because workaholics like to lie about how much they work. It's part of their status as part mm -hmm. of how they feel good about themselves. And oh, I only slept two hours a night because sleeps mm -hmm. for kids. Like who needs right. to sleep? Uh, right. So they brag about that. So, but it, what, it doesn't matter. What matters is they think they're working 80 hours a week. And it's one of the ways they're processing the world. It's one of the ways values is starting to come into play and how they make their decisions and their behaviors and all that kind of stuff that we've been talking about. So the masters of the universe, classic workaholics, we know some really interesting things about their particular values and what triggers they have that will um, get them to pay attention to things and make a brand or a product or a service magnetic so that these folks will engage and, and be influenced. We have this group of ESG champions we've talked about. The other two groups that are worth mentioning, one is uh, we call them the loyal seekers. And these are people who are very loyal to the way things their moms and dads did. Uh, the advisors, the charities, the organizations, the brands, the vacation destinations kind of just want to be mom and dad junior. Uh, that all worked fine. And we have this giant streak of loyalty. So unless something major needs to change for some reason that I can't see right now, we're just going to carry on, keep the good ship, uh, the good ship um, inheritor moving forward uh, on the same pace and under the same steam. The last group is a group, 17% uh, of this population of inheritors, and we call them the embryonic. And the embryonic are uh, young and old. And by the way, all of these groups, demographics are irrelevant. Um, it's it, the, these traits, values are not owned by a generation. There aren't a set of values that are more millennial or more Gen Z or more boomer. Uh, so across the board, we're let me talk about that for a moment. Sidebar. Here's, if you think about the way we've looked at audiences so far, it's, I've got my hands up in front of me, like as if I'm measuring a loaf of bread. <laughs> and that's, and that's because that's how we've looked at our audiences. And we slice this loaf of bread and we go, okay, here's men and women and rich and poor and young and, and old and all these other different slices. And then we go and we pick a few of these slices and we say, that's what we're going to use as our target audience. What value graphics is about is saying, let's slice the bread the other way, because these values cut through all of those different demographic categories. And let's take one of those slices out that's going to touch on all of those different demographic categories. And by the way, when you slice the bread from side to side, I'm trying to be descriptive for our audio friends listening today. When you, when you slice that bread from side to side, you could probably get a baguette. Because you're, you think your target audience is this regular old loaf of bread. But when you start slicing it in the other direction, you're going to find that there's far more people interested in that same set of values than you had originally anticipated when you put demographic blinders on how you describe your particular target audience. So that's a sidebar. We'll come back to what we we're talking about now. Welcome to David's brain. <laughs> so uh, the inheritors, we've gone through the four different segments that are there. The one I want to really focus on today, because I think they have um, some really interesting um, values that we'll be able to use in this little exercise I want to run through are the ESG champions. 
so this is 22% of the audience, 22% of the folks who qualify across the United States of America as fitting into our inheritors profile. And here's a little bit more deep, uh, deeper detail about what we know about these guys. I got it in front of me here. I got to uh, put my glasses on to get here. So the ESG champions, we, there's a couple of different groups of environmentalists in here. Um, one are uh, what we call personal environmentalists. And these are people who are only environmentalists or environmentally focused if it has something to do with their very personal environments. How is this going to impact me, my family, my street, my air, my water, mm -hmm. uh, anything like that? I'm an environmentalist. Mm -hmm. There's another kind of environmentalist. Sometimes I'll call them another flavor of environmentalists that we find in the data. And they're called collective hero environmentalists. And these are the ones who want, who are like, we need to go and save this rare bird in the Amazon that none of us are ever going to see, but it needs saving because it needs saving. Let's do mm -hmm. this. Let's get our capes on and get out there and mm -hmm. save this rare bird in the Amazon. So both of them are here. And what makes them unique in this particular study is that they're the versions of the personal and collective hero, hero environmentalists who have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So they have the ability to do things uh, that will follow through on these passions that they have. They're very, very aware of their impact and how fortunate they are. And they're looking for ways to, on a personal level, correct some of the things that they think are wrong that they know they've contributed to mm -hmm. in the way the world has uh, started to not operate the way it should. Um, I'm, I'm trying to dance around saying that the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> but there, I've just said it. So now I don't have to dance around it anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, two values that we know are very, very strong in this group compared to the rest of the population of the United States, as well as the rest of the population of all inheritors, this particular segment. Now, these are the two values we're gonna do an exercise with. So I'm gonna explain them. The first one is personal responsibility. Personal responsibility people, folks who, for whom that is a very, very big value and important part of how they make all their decisions and the triggers for all their emotions and all their behaviors. These are folks who want to get stuff done for themselves. They're not the folks who sit on the couch and go, you know, somebody should take They're They're the ones who get up off the couch and they go and do that thing. The way we see it play out when we profile environmental brands, for example, these are people who want to know Sure, I want to save the rainforest and I want to stop uh, deforestation and I want to make sure the glaciers don't all melt. But how can I recycle better tomorrow? That's their primary concern because it's about being personally responsible for a solution. I want to be the one who does it. Now, we know these folks, we, can, we all have seen these folks in, in boardrooms at work. They're the ones who sit at the boardroom table and go, I did that already. I've got it. I've got it. That's on my list. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Let's move on. I've got it. I've got it. They want to be the one. They're only happy when they're saying yes and getting stuff done themselves. Right. So keep that in mind. That's a key part of their values profile and how they make decisions about everything. The second one we're going to use, and this is of a list of about 10 that they have in common. We're only going to do two. The other one is health and well-being, which we touched on back when we were talking about games and gamers and players. So health and well-being, the important thing to understand here is that health and well-being as a value doesn't necessarily, or it doesn't, it's not necessarily, it does not mean the same things to everyone. The example I always use is I have friends for whom being healthy and well means running three 10K marathons a year. And other friends for whom being healthy and well means they are only drinking one bottle of wine each night. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and for both of them, it's valid because mm -hmm. remember what we're testing for and what we're profiling is, do they think they are healthy and well and behaving that way? I don't, I'm not here to judge. If you think you're being healthy and well, and that's one of the values in your life, then that's great because then that tells me what I need to know so that I can tell what you need to know, which is those are the cues they're listening for. That's what makes you magnetic. So for this group of ESG champions from the inheritor study, personal responsibility and health and well-being are the two we're going to focus on. Okay. So we're going to go through a quick little exercise then. We call this the values thinking process. And yes, I'm stealing the thunder from design thinking because it's a construct mm -hmm. that everybody knows. This is basically a simple four-step process to make decisions using the values of your target audience as the central driving force behind how those decisions get made. It's quite familiar because it's basically good old classic brainstorming, but just with a twist. Okay. So there's four steps. First step is we have to define what we're trying to solve. What's the question on the table? So since we're here to talk about major gifts uh, with this group of people, I'm going to throw the question over to you, Mitch, and say, uh, give us a real specific question that you know the organization would like to know um, when it comes to major gift donors and uh, recruiting more or increasing um, uh, gifts or whatever. Why don't we have more people that make major gifts to the organization? So just getting more major gifts uh, yes. in an overall sense. Can we, yes. can we drill down and make it a bit more of a specific question? So let's say, how could we use the holiday season to convince more people to make a major gift pledge. Yeah. How can we get, how can we, how can we, uh, if for our end of the year appeal, how can we get more people to make a major gift to, to our annual end of the year appeal? And this is for um, promised gifts. We're going to say yes. Or for current gifts, what? How do you want to? Uh, this would, for this appeal would be current gifts. There, you're asking them to make a, a you know a donation now for this particular campaign. Okay, and where? What's the cutoff within your organization? If if this is okay to share, that yeah. would make a gift a major gift. Well, and that's an interesting question because it's going to be different for every other organization. But I would say for AACR, uh, a major gift would be twenty minimum twenty five thousand. Okay, so we're looking for $25,000 donations during our end of year appeal. We want to see how we can boost the number of uh, uh, incoming that, yes. that we're able to yes. generate. Yes. So that's our what. That's our question. What do we need to do to get more end of year appeal major gifts of $25,000 or more? Yep. Now, the who is going to be the ESG champions. Yes. So we know they're very focused on environmentalism and sustainability and good governance. Uh, we know that they are about to inherit a whole bunch of money. Uh, and we know that that likely means that they're already fairly wealthy. Uh, they're just going about to get a lot wealthier once mom and dad um, are uh, no longer in the picture. Right. So that's probably as much as we need to know about them from a who perspective. And I'm mm -hmm. going to stop and dwell on that for a moment because what we tend to do at this moment in other decision-making processes is we start layering on the demographics. And we say to ourselves, these people are predominantly male and they are this old and they have this much money and they drive this kind of car and they do this and they have these kinds of jobs. And it gets so complicated and hard to understand that you're like, well, what, what is it, any of this going to do in terms of the decision we make? Mm -hmm. It's it's data for the sake of data. I like to say we've been drunk on data collection on data for the last little while. We've been 
you know, these mounds of data about our consumers and our, 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 our donors and our, our members on in, into these systems. And we look at it all and we expect it to tell us something. Mm-hmm. So it's important to keep values thinking clean and simple that the only thing you should write down under the who question, question number two, question number one being what yeah. question number two being who only write down anything that's relevant. Uh, the fact that they're male or female, what are you going to do with that? It's kind right. of irrelevant. Right. Uh, if they're 36 or I don't know, 62, you're not going to no do difference. something different. So like, right. don't write it down. It's just, it just makes, it makes things messy. Right. So I think the only thing that matters here is we know there's this giant environmentalism streak. Uh, and we know that they are uh, wealthy now and about to be wealthier. Uh, and um, that's really as much as I think um, as we need to know. So then the third question is, this is the piece that was the twist that we generally don't use when we're brainstorming. We sit and we say to ourselves, we have the what, what's our question? Here's who we're talking to. And then we jump right to question number four and start going, okay, what are we going to do? And come up with some ideas. Here's the piece that makes it different for values thinking. You know that the only way to get anybody in this group that we've described to do what you want them to do is going to be if you talk to them in terms that connect personal responsibility and health and well-being to the ask. So now we now we can start to brainstorm. We know what we're trying to figure out. $25,000 gifts during the end of your appeal. We want to see that number go up. We know who we're talking to, environmentally focused, wealthy folks about to get wealthier. And the third thing we know is that if you can show it how show them how this is about them getting stuff done and about their sense of health and well-being, that they will be magnetically drawn to this particular um offer this particular ask that you're putting out into the market. So this is where I can't help anymore uh, because I don't know, I don't know your work like you do. I can, I've pointed you at the question, which is how do you use personal responsibility and health and well-being to answer this particular situation? Now it's time for you to throw some ideas out. So, I mean, the personal responsibility side of this potentially could be uh, they have the means to be able to make something happen. Uh, What that what, what that is, is that um, uh, their gifts could go directly to scientists who are studying, you know, a variety of different, you know, um, uh, cancer research uh, um, opportunities out there. Um, without their gift, we're not able to fund those cancer scientists. So, you know, right away, they they're by th- those people taking action. That's a sense of personal responsibility. How this helps their health and well-being is that. Um, we are banking on the fact that the knowledge that we are getting through all the research that we're doing is going to um, increase the possibility that cancer breakthroughs and cures are going to be coming down the pike, which then in turn comes back to them and their families that hopefully it's going to be something that God forbid somebody in their family where they get cancer um, we may have unlocked the clues to helping them become a cancer survivor if that's what happens to them. Um, again, I'm riffing right now a little bit, yeah. you know, based on that. But to me, that then that's the the health and well being side of that part sure. of the equation. That I makes think. perfect sense. I think the I'm going to paraphrase what your first suggestion was there is instead of just saying, please help us out, a, a major gift of $25,000 would be amazing uh, this year in particular, uh, but also saying, you're going to be 
basically adopting a scientist. Your $25,000 will make this project go. Uh, if you could actually connect the dots and say, here's John, he's a scientist working on this particular project. And you who have given us $25,000, you're going to help John. And mm -hmm. you who have given us $25,000, yours is going to go help Professor Sally. And she's going to be working on this thing. Right. Uh, make it feel like because of me, that thing right. happened. I now know about that thing. That's fantastic. Make it much more direct. Make that, 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 that gift from them. It, there's a direct correlation to how it's going to benefit. Yeah. Now, yeah. in one of the other sectors of uh, the inheritors report where personal responsibility didn't play out so well, this isn't going to work. This is only going to work for these guys where personal responsibility is a big part of how they make every decision. Right. Uh, let's go to the health and well-being benefit of this. Yes. Uh, you talked about how you can translate what those projects are that they've just funded into a health and well-being benefit and make that um, uh, uh, something that's very clear. That would say to me from um, an internal perspective, and I don't know, I'm sure this throws up all kinds of politics about who gets to choose, who gets funded and all that stuff. But let's say that it's a politics free world and I get to make these decisions because I'm the king. Uh if you only chose $25,000 science projects for this particular ask, and those projects had very easy to understand outcomes that came back into real world health and well-being benefits. So instead of it being about a study on the, uh, you know, internal systems of a particular cell that could lead to other great things, the pure research that, you know, we all should be funding for this for in this particular instance, we're going to instead choose projects based on uh, their ability to kick out things like uh, what's the best way to reduce anxiety for kids who are focused, who are, who are going through chemo. Mm -hmm. So your $25,000 makes this project go. And because of that, kids with chemo are going to have less anxiety. Yeah, it's much more specific. Let, let me give you a, a, another potential example. So we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Your, um, let's just say your $25,000 or $50,000 is going to go to a grant that we're going to be able to provide a minority scientist the ability to learn about uh, developing clinical trials um, in order to be able to um, recruit more minorities in, in, in inner cities to be involved in clinical trials. Now that is less of a benefit though, to that, to the donor. It doesn't direct. have to be. It okay. doesn't have to be. Okay. What it has to be is it has to trigger their sense that health and well-being is the way that we should be moving forward. It's a value they're using to, um, take a look at everything that they could possibly be doing and see whether it aligns with their values. And if yes. it does, it doesn't have to be about them necessarily. It just needs to be aligned. Well, they're helping in that case, they're helping society. They're helping other people. The health and well-being and, society. Yes. Yes. It'd be very important to keep it as clean and connected as possible. Yeah. Uh, the scientific community may understand that the um, uh, a study into the uh, you know uh, inner workings of lymphotic something medical David don't even try but you know blah 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 yeah. uh, is is uh, is very very important but for this donor base they want to yeah. know that this is helping inner city kids um, yeah uh, or or help yeah how does this in a very I want to be able to tell this story to my friends and say, we funded yeah. this thing that does this. Yeah. It, this sounds like this cohort or this group of people, we, once you know who they are and what they're, um, what they're, what moves them, what inspires them, 
my job is to really be able to um, have a project that's really going to fit their their needs. So that $25,000 ask is probably not going to be that hard because it's going to hit on those two major areas that we talked about uh, a little while ago. Yeah. And then, yeah. I mean, just to round this out, I mean, that's a, there's a very quick and easy example of what values thinking is like, if, what's mm-hmm. the question, who yeah. are we doing this for? Why would they do this thing? Yeah. Uh, and then let's brainstorm some ideas and then pick the one you're going to do, execute, measure the results, and then come back and start the process again and ask the next question. But if we just look at the overall values for the entire inheritors cohort, not just that segment, but the entire inheritors cohort, mm-hmm. all the folks in the United States of America who fit this description of being uh, about to inherit anywhere from $10 million up, the most important things in their life are this is not a surprise. The baseline for the whole group, number one value is financial security. Very, very focused on making sure that money's in a good spot. Uh, I always talk about this group and that value in this way. I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money and we didn't spend a lot of time talking about how secure our money was because that wasn't something we had to talk about. Right. Uh, if you grew up in great wealth, you were talking perhaps around the dining table about um, portfolio managers uh, and which one was doing the best job for you. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was just a very, perhaps a more a normal part of your late childhood and early adolescence, which is when our values form. Personal responsibilities, number two, for the entire cohort here, not just the ESGs that we were talking about. So by doing these personal responsibility kinds of asks, you are hitting everybody because yeah. it's the second most important for the overall uh, mm-hmm. for the overall uh, audience. But other values that show up are things like experiences and security, just being safe, personal mm-hmm. growth, wanting to be mm-hmm. a better version of themselves tomorrow than they are today, health and well-being, as we've talked about. This is one of the ones I find most fascinating, and then I'll, I'll wrap up here. A huge importance placed on self-control. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's not one we see very often. And, and how, do you, how are you defining self-control? Well, again, it's social, it's social science data. So it's, they defined it and said that this is important to them. So all I can do is guess my guess is as good as yours. Um, This is a group of people who don't like being out of control. Uh, They like to know that all their I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Uh, Perhaps the, I know a few people in my life who have great wealth and uh, they're very reluctant to trust new people because that puts them in a position where they're not in control. Mm -hmm. Uh, I trust the people who have been in my life for decades. I trust because now that's a, that's a self-control thing. I'm, I'm going to stick with those guys. Yes. So just knowing that self-control is something that's very much on their mind uh, and that fear of not being in control, that would say to me at a very, you know, uh, an elementary level that as you go out asking for these end of year donations with that particular uh, segment that we've talked about, $25,000, we're trying to connect health and well-being to personal responsibility, do it in a way with enough information, with enough depth of explanation that they feel like there's no way that this is going to get out of their control, right? That this is a done deal. There isn't any kind of language that may make them feel like, well, they might give it to that program. It's a, or, or it's, this is an example of the kind of program. No, I want to know that's the program. 
and that this is what's going to happen. Right. Yes. I want to be in control of how I'm exercising this personal responsibility, value, and contributing to health and well-being. It's also an interesting point as you're looking to try to meet these people for the first time, maybe, you know, if there's this self-control, like you just said, they may not want to meet me because they don't know who I am. I'm a stranger coming in, even though I'm representing, you know, cancer science, cancer research, but maybe the strategy would be, I need to get to know people in their orbit that I think that that could, I could go with them. You know, we see this sometimes with cancer, like grateful patients that have doctors that have perhaps saved their lives. Um, They they'll introduce me to their doctor will introduce me to the potential donor. And then I am welcomed. I'm welcomed in to talk to them and have a conversation about things. And, you know, maybe that's the, an approach that we need to consider taking more. Yeah. Two quick things. uh, Just sitting here. First of all, I am so grateful to be in the virtual room to listen to both of you talk. This has been an incredible experience. So thank you both again for doing this. Uh, David, quick question. And uh, just a point that I want to share. Maybe I'll, I'll share my point first and then I'll ask you the question just to keep it organized. One of the things that I apply to my law practice or really to anything that that I'm involved in from a production perspective, right? Because I'm involved in this podcasting world. I'm involved in some production projects. I have my law firm. I have all these things going on. And also I teach at Temple. So I kind of meld everything into my mind and then try to apply the same thing to stay organized. And one of the things that I've been applying in 2020 with respect to clients or anyone that I'm collaborating with is taking much more of an approach of First and foremost, tell me about you. And then when we get to that discussion of, you know, they're thinking about starting a business or hiring our firm to help them to amplify their business, whatever it is, the approach that I've taken that has increased dramatically our success rate of engaging with clients on a higher level is to just take a step back and say, I'm here for you whenever you're ready. And that automatically transitions the control to the other person. I find it really interesting, David, because I had never tied it to anything of aside from my own observations and hypothesis that 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 level of communication seems to be working better. But it makes sense because I work predominantly with entrepreneurs, very similar to the value graphics that we're talking about. See, I avoided saying demographics there. Um, That's a win. That's good. I'm learning. I'm learning. You've had an impact today. Um, But I find it super interesting that they have an imp- they place importance on being able to control the situation and in taking that approach genuinely of course i mean you know i'm not using it as a tactic it's more so i've just noticed sure. that i get better results that way well and you'll see that when in the way they want to deal with their investment advisors the way they're right. going to want to buy high value of art and luxury luxury right. goods and luxury vacations they're going to want to be in control don't tell me what you're going to sell me i'm going to tell you what i'm going to buy from you exactly. that's basically the way they want to think about things so my question is, is the way that we shape AACR's message, bringing it back to this discussion, is it important that we say not that the 25K or your 25K will make an impact and create this grant for minority scientists, for example, using uh, Mitch's example? Is it more important for us to reshape the discussion as you can make an impact by bringing the 25,000 sort of in a, in a, in the way that we word 
our communication and our message saying to them, you have this power. You are in control of making a difference yeah, with respect to cancer sense. research. So you can sense. make a difference. It's so you're you're not funding a scientist. You want you are going to be the person who brings diversity and inclusion into this right. thing. We got a scientist on the standby ready to help you out, but this is your project. But the but what you have to do here though, these so th- these are very targeted messages. So you have to know your audiences because there's a part of an end-of-the-year campaign that goes to a very broad, you know, donor base of people that will make $25 contributions and $50 contributions. Yep. And that's fantastic. That's great. But to the cohort we're having a conversation with, maybe that email or whatever it is needs to go, it has to be very it has to be messaged differently and to that audience. Yeah. And some, some AB testing would be, would be yes. absolutely um, uh, a smart thing to do because yes. as with the, one of the the joys and, and one of the um, problems with social science data is that it doesn't tell you the answers. It just tells you the questions. Yes. So we know what to focus on, but there's still a leap we're trying to make at the back end here and go, okay, well, I think it could mean this. And so we should still test those against each other. And, but at least we're talking about the right, questions to be testing, right? The right, instead of it just being, who knows what it might be. It just takes all that risk out of that last mile, we like to call it, where we collect all this demographic and psychographic data. And then we make these giant leaps to go, okay, well, let's do this with it. We can close that gap by adding in the information about what are they listening for? And now we make a small leap and we can test some of the different hypotheses that come up. Awesome. This is amazing. amazing and fun. Yeah, yeah amazing it's, discussion, it's guys. This was great for me. Was... I've learned a heck of a lot. And, you know, David, we'll, we'll have, a, we'll have uh, some, some other conversations after this. And Tony, can't thank you enough for inviting us and to be able to talk about the organization and all different things. And we have a special treat for everybody who's listening and who stayed this long through uh, this long rambly conversation of ours. Uh, The inheritors report, which I've referenced a few times now is free for anybody who's listening to download. So you get the whole report, not just the tiny little bits I've talked about today. It's like a 50 page document. I think that we put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into uh, and you can get it by going to valuegraphics.online backslash inheritors. Uh, I know Tony will throw that address up uh, in the in the notes, but uh, valuegraphics.online backslash inheritors and the report will come to you as a PDF. And I sure hope it helps you in whatever it is you're out there trying to accomplish in the world. We, we definitely will go after that and I'll get my team to do that. And uh, Tony, if it's okay, also, I just want to remind people to uh, uh, get that game Neo Antigen on February 19th, but also the month of March, we're going to, we're going to be doing a play to end cancer, just a month long gaming program, gaming and players alike. Um, so we definitely going to see the Lopes family involved in that. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you can go to acr.org for more information or players versus cancer. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much. I want to throw a couple more websites out there. AACR.org, as Mitch pointed out, neoantigen.gg will take you to the Players versus Cancer and the Neoantigen game page. Also, super thankful for David for being willing to be a collaborator to come on this episode to do this. Incredibly uh, awesome of you to be that generous and to bring value to this discussion and to an important mission for the AACR. ValueGraphics.com is David's website. Please, please, please go check it out. 
And you can also buy a book on value graphics by David. You can find that on Amazon and from their page, valuegraphics.com as well. David, thank you very, very much. I've learned a heck of a lot from you today, and uh, we will be getting the book. And uh, it, it, and it's so so good to be on a podcast where you also get educated and have a really great, lively discussion. Well, you're being you're all being very kind. It was it was a lot of fun. I, I really enjoyed myself. So uh, listen, um, happy holidays, however yes. you celebrate. I hope yes. you have a great rest of the month. Thank you, everybody. You too.